everyone, and welcome to Medium Cool, a movie podcast. I'm your host, Austin Glidden, and as always, you can find us on social media by searching Medium Cool Pod on Instagram. You can also email us at mediumcoolpod at gmail.com. And uh, today, Joe and I are going to talk about something very timely. I believe tomorrow, which technically I'm recording this at 11.59 on Tuesday, so it's really probably going to be today by the time this posts, is Valentine's Day. And so this, uh, this episode is dedicated to love stories in the movies. And Joe and I basically uh, you know, collected uh, three recommendations apiece for you. Uh, that we wanted to talk about some pretty traditional love stories, others very not traditional. I know that Joe and I both have two kind of not very traditional, kind of unusual love stories, um, but uh, maybe not all of them are great for a date night. But hey, you know what? If you are someone who is single or does not have a date and uh, you're just like, yeah, hey, I'll watch a love story. Fuck it. Hey, we have a couple of weird ones for you to enjoy. All right. <clears throat> Sorry. Uh, excuse me. So. Without further ado, I just want to jump straight into my conversation with Joe, um, and I will talk a little bit about some ideas I have in the outro after our conversation, but I hope you enjoy our conversation about love stories in the movies. All right, everyone, it's Valentine's Day tomorrow, at least as of the day that this episode drops. And what better topic for Joe and I to discuss than love stories? Wouldn't you say, Joe? Yes, we are two, you know, modern men of modern men of romance. And we like a good we like a good romance film as much as the next guy. Oh, man. Yeah. Um, You really uh, took that and ran with it, brother. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) But these are the these are certainly going to be the movie. If guys who are listening, these are the movies to to go grab for your lady or your man and take, you know, take it in, watch it and, you know, like just let nature take its course from there. So hopefully, um, I, I don't know. I've got a couple of picks that are a little off center. So yeah, I, I just sure wouldn't say what you just said about my picks. Just so you know. <laughs> <laughs> maybe, maybe, maybe two of them. Um, kind of one of them definitely is probably not a date movie. Okay. <laughs> Listen, these are not mine are not like well, one of them could be could what certainly would have been in the day a dating uh, just like a nice date movie. The other two, yeah, maybe not, but we'll see. Yeah. Um. Well, I mean, you know, listen, let's let's say this first. You know, uh, I mean, kind of. You know, fuck Valentine's Day, kind of. Its mm-hmm. initials are VD. I mean, come on. However, <laughs> I do love a good love story. All right. Mm-hmm. So we are going to talk about three movies apiece. I have not heard Joe's picks. He has not heard mine. Maybe there will be some unintentional overlap. That'd be fun. Yeah. And uh, also, these are not just romantic comedies, everybody. These are movies we consider love stories. So yeah. you're not going to hear any of my anti love story stuff or any, you know, like I'm not going to I'm I'm doing straight love stories. Mm-hmm. That's that's where I am. OK, I'm not trying right. to break the rules here. Right. So, um, yeah, we're going to do three movies. That's pretty much what we're going to do. Joe, I'm going to let you take it off first here. Oh, Go for shit. it. All right. Yeah. Well, 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 let's kick it off in fine style. So, uh, again, my my picks, I like to, I fancy myself as someone who picks things that are not quite, you know, your normal everyday sort of romances. And this one certainly falls under this. 
this does, however, I'm going to continue to argue that this movie that I have uh, isn't a movie that you would want to take a date to, but it did spawn a movie that many, many people took dates to. Um, and uh, this movie came out in 2002. It's directed by a gentleman by the name of Steven Shaneberg, who hasn't directed, actually he's directed one or two other things. Um, but uh, this movie is called Secretary. Um, this movie, dude, what the fuck? <laughs> you have that one. Is no, that I yours? don't. I okay. don't, but dude, that's fucking <laughs> great. What a pick. Oh my God. <laughs> I'm glad you like it. So I, I will continue to argue that this movie um, is the real genesis of um, Fifty Shades of Grey, the Fifty Shades of Grey series. series. Um, crossing it, of course. I mean, the famous story with Fifty Shades is that it was um, Twilight fan fiction. But I will continue to argue that this film was in there somewhere. And let me tell you why. Number one, subject matter is BDSM um, sort of, you know, that lifestyle of of enjoying pain with your pleasure number two the lead the the male lead his character his name is edward gray for christ's sake like so and and the whole thing is like she calls him mr gray through this so take this as you will anyway let me back up a little bit this movie again came out in 2002 it stars james spader as a, a gentleman by the name of edward gray who is a um a lawyer and he's a very successful lawyer, but he's also a lonely man. He uh, is looking for a secretary, hence the title, and hires uh, Lee Holloway, who's played by Maggie Gyllenhaal. And Maggie Gyllenhaal's character, Lee, has um, sort of a, um, she's got some sort of past of trauma. So she um, she does things like cut herself, and she kind of hurts herself in, in ways, um, and has, uh, you know, has spent some time in, um, I, I can't remember, I think an institution, um, she certainly has seen therapists. She's having some problems. Um, so she goes to work for this Mr. Gray and finds him a weird guy, but he's kind of strangely alluring. And then he kind of slowly kind of does these things. There's a, like a flirtation and it turns into like a punishment and she's sort of shocked. But then she also like kind of like screws up again later uh, to see what he'll do. And it turns into a full blown romance where um, he is telling her what to do. There's a sequence where she's wearing like this very strange, like, I don't know. I don't even know what it's called, but it, it basically is like binding her arms and she has to like do her work in this office wearing this thing. Um, there's a lot, of, there's a lot of weirdness that happens, um, but it's kind of the center of the whole thing is this, this oddly sweet romance between these two very wounded people who were into things that, um, some of us would consider maybe not quite the norm, um, sexually speaking. But um, but yeah, I I watched this and found this to be just a really like, you know, of course it's it's fun and interesting and um, funny at times, but also at the center is just this sweet little story, this nice little romance of two people finding themselves. Um, and I just I just love it. I always I found it really romantic and and fun in that way. Um, my my story that I was talking about though was that um, around I don't know 2005 or 2006 when I was in like full secretary mode, I actually recommended this movie to a, a coworker <laughs> who was a a woman. So I and I I was very careful. I was like, listen, like you have to enjoy like strange movies. She's like, oh yes, I love strange movies. And I was like, 
no, like this is a strange movie. Like you got to like make sure you like strange movies before you watch this. It's like, oh yes, it'll be fine. I love James Spader in Boston Legal. I'm going to have a good time with this movie. So, um, so I lend her the movie for the weekend. She was, this was a, a woman. I, I don't want to say too much about her other than let's say, say she was a kind of your average, ordinary middle-aged woman. You know, she was like in her late forties at the time, um, sent, sent her off on Friday with it. She came back on Monday and, and plopped it down on my desk and she, her face just had this weird look on her face and she was like, I don't know what makes you think this was a good movie but that was not good that was just (laughs) she was very offended by the movie and i was like i told you it was a weird she's like not that weird and i was like i guess you don't like weird movies sorry and you know so um she fucked up dude she did it's her fault i still maintain that this was on her like i (laughs) i gave her the warning and i said you know, like this movie goes, pl- I was very clear. This movie goes places that most movies don't go. And she was like, oh, it'll be fine. And then she was, you know, very annoyed by it in the end. Hilarious. Like, I couldn't even finish it. But uh, again, one of my, this is one of my favorite movies of, of the early 2000s. Um, I love James Spader in it. I love Maggie Gyllenhaal in it. There are maybe some things psychologically speaking that may or may not be accurate in terms of cutting yourself versus BDSM and I did have, I've had conversations with people about that. So I'm not an expert on that kind of stuff. So I'm just going to take, I just kind of take those at face value and say, yeah, maybe it's not a hundred percent accurate, but I love what they do. And I love the whole, just the whole framework of this film. And um, the, the main other thing, uh, Steven Shaneberg again, was the director um, off of a script by Aaron Cressida Wilson, Mary Gateskill and Steven, Steven Shaneberg. Anyway, he also directed, um, Fur, uh, an imaginary portrait of Dion Arbus, which came out in 2006. And he's only done one other film since then. And that was Rupture in 2016. Film huh. I've never even heard of. Well, I've uh, never heard of it either, but it does not look like it did well. It, yeah, it, yeah, it doesn't. Uh, Numi Rapace, Rapace yeah. and Michael Chiklis, Peter Stormare also in that movie. Um, But yeah, he, for whatever reason, has not had a lot of directorial credits um but um secretary is is sure as hell is a banger uh man you want to go to different romance kind of movie i never in a million years thought this was going to be any of your picks nor mine (laughs) now listen i haven't seen this since the mid-2000s probably yeah um and i probably saw it for the same reason most young uh late teenagers slash early 20-somethings Mm-hmm. watched it for going into the movie uh rental place like a blockbuster or something and just sure. seeing the cover which is just basically the backside of a like the back mm-hmm. bottom half of a woman with like yes. you know wearing like pantyhose or whatever and yeah yeah like just the, a woman the, bent over basically the middle yeah. Of like yeah yeah mm-hmm. and so uh yeah i i remember watching this though and i love jeremy davies who's also yeah. in it um he's great yeah. Um Leslie Ann Warren, of course, uh, always great. Love some uh, Leslie Ann Warren. But uh yeah, Maggie Gyllenhaal, James I love James Spader too. So I mean sure. like Maggie Gyllenhaal and James Spader do great. Mm-hmm. I, I just I want to rewatch this now because <clears throat> the scenes I remember <laughs> is uh-huh. her with that bar that you were talking yeah, about, yeah. having like chained to a bar, so she had to like work awkwardly. Yeah. Um 
I think he puts like a horse saddle on her, if I'm not mistaken, yes, at a yes. certain point. That's mm-hmm. a fun. That's a fun fact there. Yeah. Um, uh, it's like I just want to see these because I would have never thought of this as like. I just wouldn't have thought of it as the love story. I love that you picked yeah. this. It, mm-hmm. it makes me want to be risque too. There's a movie, and this is not one of my picks, y'all, <laughs> but there's a movie called Nine Songs uh-huh. um, by Michael Winterbottom, I believe, is the one that did it. Uh, and that movie has real sex in it, actually. Oh, wow. <laughs> and, um, and it's actually uh, my, my buddy. Uh, hold on. I got to look this up because I want to make sure it's him. Um, but uh, my, my buddy Riley, who's been on the podcast, the way he described Nine Songs to me, I'd already seen it, but mm-hmm. uh, he wasn't into it. I, I found certain parts. I still do find certain parts of it actually fascinating, mm-hmm. but it's not It's not a good movie. Okay. It's from 2004, <laughs> and it's literally yeah. this couple um, that uh, basically like fuck a lot, mm-hmm. and in between fuck scenes, they go to concerts. So you watch like Franz Ferdinand play like a whole song, and then like it goes back to them like, literally just cuts back to the apartment they're just fucking uh-huh. and then it's like it goes back to like a different band playing music and then it goes back yeah. to them fucking uh-huh. and it's it's funny because it's it, why i think it's fascinating why am i talking about this so long i don't uh-huh. know everyone but now i feel like i'm already in the hole that i've dug and i gotta yeah. i gotta get out we gotta finish it. so yeah. so anyways uh the thing about nine songs that's cool though is every scene between the music scenes my mm-hmm. buddy actually said it's like uh going back and forth between skinamax and mtv and I was yeah. like, that's actually accurate. <laughs> um, but um, would have been a perfect movie to watch back then. The cool thing is every every love scene that they have mm-hmm. tells a different story. So you actually okay. see the progress of of a there's like actual like artistry here. It's yeah. just not worth watching. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because it's mm-hmm. literally just fucking and then like whole musical like live music videos <laughs> like, yeah. like that's fucking it um but anyways you picking secretary as soon as you like start talking about it i was like fuck man i should have said something like nine songs that would have been awesome um but no that would not be a recommendation of mine dude uh-huh. i love that pick i'm not joking okay awesome. now i want to go like rewatch secretary that's cool all right uh, if you haven't seen secretary though and you're into weird shit not that what they do is all what well, it's kind of weird for like normies, you know what I'm saying? But sure. you know, I'm yeah. not gonna like king yeah. shame them. That's cool. Absolutely like, not. Whatever they yeah. want. You know what I mean? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, so my first one has nothing to do with kinks like that. <laughs> okay. All right. <laughs> uh, uh, but maybe one could argue that uh, Jack Lemon in this movie had some kinks. Uh, uh-huh. But uh, I'm actually picking a movie I've talked about many times. I'm just starting with it. Mm-hmm. And and before before I say it, which Jack Lemon probably gave it away, but before I say it here. Joe, there are some movies that we talk about all the time that I feel like Medium Cool is going to need to have a Medium Cool pantheon yeah. of a time, a proverbial timeout box mm-hmm. where we put some movies in where it's like we can't talk about these for a while. And right. I feel like my first pick, which is The Apartment, has mm-hmm. to go in it, which is one of my all-time favorite movies. Absolutely. And anytime I talk about love or comedy or 60s or Wilder, uh, like Billy Wilder, like w- whatever. Uh, this movie is going to be way up there. It's my favorite Billy Wilder movie. Um, I just really love it. And the thing about the apartment that I love is because I'm such a film history nerd, like thinking about the 60s, you know, in the 40s, people started getting TVs or TV became a thing. Yeah. By the mid 50s, TV is a prominent source of entertainment. It is in a lot of households and it's starting to really actually hurt the film industry because people are thinking 
well, why yeah. would I go to the movies to see a Western when I can watch one on my screen at my house? Yeah. So you'll also notice that there are a lot of like kind of grandiose movies at this time uh, or just straight up like counterculture or like youth movies. Like those are kind of the two things you get, you know, uh, <clears throat> you get, uh, you know, the uh, the man who shot Liberty Valance or my fair lady, <laughs> you know, what I mean? <laughs> or you get like fucking easy rider. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> like there's no in between. So anyways, uh, with the apartment. Uh, what I love about it is how I show it to people now. And they're like, how the fuck was this? Okay. In 1960. Cause it's yeah. literally about a protagonist that is ultimately uh, supporting affairs. Yeah. Which was hugely taboo in my mind from everything I know about the fifties. Now granted this was 1960, but let's face it, you know, not a ton changed culturally by the time this, uh, Yes. This uh, released in terms of the 50s. So mm -hmm. I'm just thinking to myself, like, man, what a ballsy move yes. to do that. But it's also a love story. And it's one of the most well-written love stories, in my opinion, where we have. And I've said this before on the show, but it, I think what I'm about to say, actually, I said a long time ago. So I feel OK about this. But uh, the apartment is written and it is the template for every traditional rom-com that we've ever seen. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. Um, the protagonist finds someone that they are attracted to and they just can't stop thinking about them uh, toward the end of the second act. You get some sort of conflict that causes them to not be able to be together. That leads us into the third act. And then the third act is all about, well, how do they get together now? Right. <laughs> like, yeah. like something's going to happen. Um, the apartment. I'm not going to say created it because I'm sure there were other movies that did something similar, but the apartment does it the best. And I would argue. And when you watch it, the reason I say that is I hate that template. I fucking yeah. hate it. It's right. forced in every movie these days. Mm -hmm. It's so forced. But in the apartment, it feels natural. It does not feel forced. The way that the story is told, the characters in it, things are believable. You understand why people can or can't be together. Uh, you understand uh, the characters motives and, and, and every I mean, it's perfect to me. And yeah. so uh, plus, I just love like a really nice, nicely restored black and white movie and there yeah. are plenty of really I actually just got a 4k restoration um recently for i think christmas or something uh yeah. one of my family members bought it for me and i need to re-watch this movie now because i want to see it in its nice crisp 4k yeah. uh but anyways uh the the point is the apartment is just absolutely tops for me again mm -hmm. i need to put this in the timeout box sometime soon because uh, I feel like it's just a movie I'll talk about all the time, but this is okay to be a date movie. I will give you a warning, though. Uh, if anybody listening has not seen The Apartment and you're like, oh, Austin says it's a date movie, I guess we're going to watch this on Wednesday uh, <laughs> for Valentine's Day. Uh, there are some weird cultural things. Allow me to enlighten you. In the 1960s, apparently, it was okay for someone to say, um, you know, basically say something you didn't know they knew about you. And the person goes, well, how do you know that? And then for someone else to say, oh, well, I just uh, looked you up in my company's system and found your social security number. And I found, you know, that's <laughs> like a joke in this. 
Yeah. And when I first heard it, I was like, fuck, dude, that's like stalker shit. Like, what did you yeah, do? Yeah. But it's treated as just like a, <laughs> it's just like a funny thing. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, that's weird. Mm-hmm. Uh, but as, aside from just a, a very, like, less than a handful of things like that that are just like generationally different, like, it maybe mm-hmm. wasn't as scary as it sounds now. Yes. Uh, man, it is a fucking banger. And there are moments that absolutely crush me. Mm-hmm. I mean, crush me. Um, there's a moment where uh, Shirley MacLaine's character has a broken mirror um, and uh, Jack Lemmon's character says, oh, we should get you a new one or something. And she's like, why? It's broken. Just like me. Yeah. Something along those lines. It's like Ugh. <laughs> when she says that, it just crushes me. Yeah. It is also uh, the movie that uh, gave me an, a screen crush of Shirley MacLaine circa 1960. Yeah. You know? I, I, I don't know if I've seen her in anything where I had a crush on her, but that movie I did. So, <laughs> For sure. Anyways, yeah. uh, I, I freaking love The Apartment. And like I said, I need to stop talking about it. But <laughs> do, you, do you have any feelings about that movie? Have you you've seen that? Yeah. 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 Well, yeah, we did a thing about it a while back. And I, I thought yeah, I made I, you watch I it. I wasn't sure. And, and, and I think I'd seen that years before. But yeah, there, the the thing that, that sticks out to me was the, uh, what popped into my head while you were talking was it feels very effortless narratively speaking like it's you know you talked about how smooth it is and how it you know how it everything feels like it fits and that's it just it feels like it's there's something about that movie that's sort of like oddly calming um as you're watching it because just because from a narrative perspective because nothing does feel forced everything feels like it feels like a very natural story and it's just it's just very smooth as it progresses along and there, there are no, you know, sometimes you get movies and it's like, oh, it's time to insert this part. You know, we got to have this chase at the end or we got to have like something's got to like she's got to cheat on him or she's got to do something like something's got to happen. Right. And so they like drop this thing in and it's like doesn't quite fit the beats for the for the character. And there's not anything like that in this film. It's just it is so smooth. You're right. It is the template of of all romantic comedies, which, you know, much much like, you know, something like Jaws for me is like. You know, this is kind of oh. sort of the the granddaddy of the modern blockbuster that led to a million really bad movies. So did the apartment in that way, but it doesn't take away from how great it is on its own. Yeah. So, um, uh, first off, Jaws is fucking incredible. Yeah. So let's just absolutely. get that out of the way now. I've watched yes. it a bunch, a bunch mm-hmm. of times recently, actually. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I, let me say, I love that you. I just want to. I was going to pass it off to you, but I do want to say one more thing now because you mentioned the word smooth. Yeah. And you talked about it being calming in some way. And yeah. I, I want to explain, if you haven't seen this, listeners, uh, in this movie, Jack Lemon plays this guy who's kind of a people pleaser, and he wants to move up the company ladder. Yes. So the premise of the whole movie is that he allows these, these uh, uh, why can't I think of the word, these higher ups in this business, yeah. uh, executives. these executives, that's the word, the word. Yeah. yeah. These executives, he lets them use his apartment so they can have affairs on their wives, okay? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, and you know whether he agrees, excuse me, whether he agrees with it or not, that is not the purpose of the movie, and then nor is it the motive. He's too afraid to tell them no, and uh, he has just kind of learned to live with it. So, because he does this secretly, because he can't let anyone. No, you know, like he can't let people at work know because this is like obviously confidential, but also he can't let his landlords or neighbors or anyone know. So you have this neighbor who's a doctor and all they ever see 
is Jack Lemmon's protagonist putting like just buckets of wine bottles and things out. <laughs> and he just looks like a crazy party animal playboy. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and I just love how natural that plays out. I didn't even imagine it as mm-hmm. it was playing out until, but then that turns into so much more. There's also a scene where a character straight up attempts suicide straight yeah. up. Like, and that's dark for 1960, bro. Yeah. Like, so, uh, yeah, I mean, this movie, for as calming as you said it is, and which I yeah. agree, there's something very easy about this movie. It's just mm-hmm. fucking easy to watch, man. Yeah. Uh, but it gets, it also has some serious substance for being <laughs> the kind of uh, the grandfather of that template, so to speak. So, yeah. Um, anyways, I love the apartment enough about that. Joe, give me what your second movie is. Tell the listeners sure. what they can watch. Yeah. Yeah. So, okay. So we're going to be a, a lot. I'm going to be quite a bit more normal, I guess, if you want to, I, I hate to keep using that word, but, um, this, this certain, this movie certainly, um, adheres to that template we were just talking about. Um, but somehow does it a little bit better, I think. Um, and this is this is just one of my movies. When I think of the of romantic comedy, and uh, as I was growing up, this is sort of the movie that that hits it for me. Whatever um, you say is so debatable now. But go I ahead. know, I know, and it doesn't. And like <laughs> this is not even a movie that's particularly highly regarded. I've just always really loved it. Uh, it's from 1996. It stars George Clooney and Michelle Pfeiffer. It's called One Fine Day. Um, okay. it's a very, like I said, a very straightforward film, but it, it feels like it could have been made in the 1950s. This could have been a Cary Grant instead of George Clooney. Um, this could have been, I don't know, Grace Kelly would that work instead of Michelle Pfeiffer. Uh, I don't know. It could have been any number of people back in that day, uh, v- feels very old fashioned, but has a little contemporary twist. The twist is George Clooney and Michelle Pfeiffer are single, uh, or both single parents. They're both divorced. Um, they, uh, uh, Michelle's Melanie Parker is an architect and George Clooney's Jack Taylor is uh, a newspaper columnist and they, their kids are in the same school in the same class and they miss a field trip because of him. And so they have to, um, kind of take turns watching each other's kid while the other does, you know, work related stuff. Um, and of course they dislike each other. There's a, there's a little bit of like, um, uh, Melanie is in some way knows Jack's ex-wife. And so, you know, there's like that kind of, you know, there's like that little bit of politics going on where, you know, he's obviously a, a dirtbag and a slug because, you know, he's that, he's that dashing young single dad that just does the things that single dads do. And, you know, he looks at her as like the uptight control freak single mom. And so they clash early on and they have all these little arguments. And, and then in the meantime, of course, they're falling in love and you know having this attraction to each other um it's it's just a fun easy movie um i i actually showed this to um to elisha um you know my girlfriend who you know we've talked about a bit in the past this was one we kind of watched slightly early on and i was just like yeah this is one of my favorites and she was like yeah it was she was into it as a fun time um but it's it's just a fun movie it's got a, a pretty fun uh cast uh the the kids are played by may whitman who is now um kind of still a working actress now she was in uh most notably to me scott, scott pilgrim versus the world perks of being a wallflower um i'm looking at a couple of other things she's obviously she's working now 
um, doing lots of things. I won't go into her filmography because I don't want to. <laughs> also, Alex D. Linz, who went on to um, replace Macaulay Culkin in the Home Alone series, among other things. Oh, bro, uh, later in the nineties, do that. You just ruined your pick. I know, I know. That was pretty rough, but um, but also Charles Durning. How about how's that? Yeah, uh, that guy rules. Yeah, he was awesome. There's a guy I love named Joe Grafossi, who I didn't know his name until just now. Um, he was in uh, Batman <laughs> Forever. He was in one of my favorite uh, other 80s movies from 1985, actually, Brewster's Millions with uh, with Richard Pryor. Um, so he's somebody else that is one of those guys that I like um, seeing a whole lot of. So um, also a, a young Amanda Pete who would um, have some success in the, the late 90s. She's in a, yep. in a smaller role as well. So um yeah just just a fun breezy movie um natalie merchant sings a version of the title song if that tells you anything mm-hmm. um that that like appears later in the film so it's got that kind of you know kind of like slow vibe there it, it's just a fun time um I, I just i just enjoyed it i don't know it's not like i said it's not even a particularly great movie in any way um, but it, it's kind of, uh, it's, it's one that I'll say it like this when I was in college in 1996, owned it on VHS and, oh, uh, yeah. you know, that, that would have been my, my go-to for the ladies like, oh, oh, oh yes. Oh, that one. Oh yeah. Someone just put that there. I don't know. Let's watch that. <laughs> we can watch it if what? you want. <laughs> That's how you suckered people into watching that movie. I don't know how that got there, but we can watch it. Uh, oh yeah. Um, I mean, that's not an action movie, you know, it's like next to. Pulp yeah, Fiction dude. and you know, uh, The Fugitive. Uh, you know, I don't know whatever was up. <laughs> That's I just want I want to hear off the top of your head uh, what your movie collection was on VHS. <laughs> That's what I want to know. Before another time, been, we're going to go into this. I I remember some of them. No, we're not going into this. Just stop. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Star Trek Generations. How's that? That that tells you anything? That was my number one. No, uh, we're not. No, we won't go. Uh, no, it's it's funny because. Uh, I was going to say, but now I've I've outdone myself here. Um, but I was going to say that's uh, one fine day's no secretary. Um, but, that's true. Uh, no, I actually haven't seen one fine day. I, I actually just made on Letterbox some master lists for mm-hmm. myself. Yeah. Um, just movies that I actually it's a bunch of shit that I've already seen, but mm-hmm. then there's a bunch of stuff I haven't seen, and it's just from decades. So it's like the yeah. '90s master list, mm-hmm. '60s master list, so on. Um, and everything from silent era all the way to the 2020s, you know, and yeah. I just have these different decade lists and I just added that to my 90s just so you awesome. know, just for you. Yeah. So when all I right. see Great. it, if I ever get around to it, which I hope yeah. I do sincerely, sure, uh, I will let you know what I think. But uh, I, I, I love the reason I love that pick, though, is uh, it is one that I have actually I wasn't even aware of. I don't wow, even think okay. I knew what that movie was. Yeah. I don't even remember seeing the cover. Uh-huh. So it might be an altogether new movie to me, which is a rarity, I feel like. Nice. So I'm excited. So thank you. Yeah. Um, right. I'm going to go with my number two here. Mm-hmm. A bit more. Uh, well, no, actually, from what you explained with One Fine Day, that seems about as traditional as it gets. Just it's Absolutely. done well from what you say. Mm-hmm. Uh, this one is less a romantic comedy, but 100% a love story. Mm-hmm. And that is Rob Reiner's The Princess Bride. No, Very not nice. when Harry met Sally, which was originally on the list. <laughs> and then I ended up going, I was like, I don't want two Reiner movies on here. And then I yeah. booted it off for my third. But um, yeah. I went with the princess. I love when Harry met Sally, by the way. I just want that sure. to be clear. Uh, however, 
so yeah honorable mention i guess uh okay. but the the princess bride um it's no secret for anybody who's listening to the show that you and i are fans of wrestling particularly uh older wrestling right absolutely um i love newer stuff too but i know that when we talk about it we tend to go back a bit yeah and i remember on television I don't know why I said television and not TV. But anyways, on TV, there was this movie. And I saw Andre the Giant. Yeah. And I remember thinking, God, I got to watch this movie sometime. It has Andre the Giant in it. Mm-hmm. Then whenever I got older and had my own car and could get my own blockbuster card and all that, I don't remember how I got this. I may have just straight up bought it. But I remember I got The Princess Bride and I finally watched it. This would have been the early 2000s. Mm-hmm. And I absolutely loved it. I don't know if I loved anything else more. <laughs> yeah. uh-huh. like, I just loved it so much because I love fantasy adventures, but I also love the humor in it. And I also love the love story in it. And I also mm-hmm. love that it is a grandfather telling his grandchild, his sick grandchild, the mm-hmm. story. Like that's the premise of the whole thing. I love it. I just yes. love it. I still do. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I, ne- I don't watch it near enough. I need to watch it more. I feel like I've went through like, Probably, I probably own this on DVD, Blu-ray. Well, I probably still have it on Blu-ray, so just two generations, I guess. Mm-hmm. Uh, but my point is, like, I've bought it probably four or five times. I will say that because <laughs> I had a regular version, then I got the Criterion version. That you know. But my point is, though, like, uh, I've probably been through four generations of that mm-hmm. media and only watched one of them. You know, like I just <laughs> I don't watch it enough. Yeah. But I know I love it. It's one of those movies, and mm-hmm. it's a movie that if someone hasn't seen it, so uh, shout out to Jordan. This is a movie that's going to go on your list, brother. Uh, mm-hmm. But The Princess Bride, so, so good. Um, so anyways, uh, I want to I go back to something that you said. Ye- it has to be years ago at this point. Uh-huh. We're talking about Rob Reiner. Yeah. And you said, man, th- tell me anyone who had the run that guy had for yeah. about eight years. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like this right. is Spinal Tap. To what misery or something? I forget what the last it was, movie so was. So it would have started with it would have started with this is Spinal Tap, and it it went through. I would say I think the American President was ninety six. North is basically sure. when I want to stop it. That was the giant flop um, that he had, and I'm actually pulling up his his. Uh, I put you on the IMDb spot. Dude. You is have it okay. now. Yeah. So yeah. So all of those movies, you go through that whole movie. Why does it not say director? <laughs> yeah, that's I'm struggling right now. What is happening? I know I've got Rob Reiner's IMDb. It says actor, white oh, writer, producer. You freaking and, nerd! I already found it. God, why do you suck, dude? <laughs> <laughs> um, no, it's uh, it it's this is Spinal Tap, The Sure uh-huh. Thing, Stand by Me, Princess Bride, When Harry Met Sally, Misery. Oh, A Few Good Men is yes. the movie I was trying to think of. Okay, and then he did North and the American President. Yeah, so we yeah um, we can we can pull North out as. As a massive flop, the Amer- I love the American president, um, and um, I'll even go Ghosts of Mississippi if you want to go that far. That's through '96, yeah. So yes, every one of those Sands North is, you know, one of the better movies of that particular year. Some of several of these are all time classics, what I call all time classics. So yeah. you know, that's- this is Spinal Tap, Stand by Me, Princess Bride, When Harry Met Sally, Misery, A Few yeah. Good Men. Mm-hmm. No, no shade against the sure thing. I'm just yeah. saying I'm arguing it's not on the same level. Okay. Oh, of course. Not. E- even yeah. though it still may be good. Okay. But yeah. like, dude, th- that's a that's a banger of a decade. Yeah. A freaking yeah. banger. Absolutely. Unfortunately, the decade ends on North, and no, <laughs> I haven't even seen it. 
but it just uh-huh. looks terrible just looking yeah. at it yeah uh but anyways uh yeah so this dude right smack dab in the middle is the prince's bride mm-hmm. you know and and uh i just i i remember when you said that and it made me think of rob reiner a little differently i mean i've always liked rob reiner but yeah. it just made me think of him a little differently because i was like fuck man you are right mm-hmm. this is i mean what a crazy career over that decade yeah uh, and, and yep. there are a lot of filmmakers that have eras mm-hmm. you know like uh like uh, some people love hitchcock's early british era mm-hmm. uh, some people love his 50s uh like that 50s decade you know uh up at least up to psycho which is 60 but it's like you know you have your rear windows your vertigos your north by northwest mm-hmm. all of it you know yeah um and this is his yeah, I mean, this yeah. is like one of his eras, right? Mm-hmm. Arguably like the era of Rob Reiner. And so <clears throat> the cast is crazy. You have Carrie Elwes, uh, Mandy Patinkin, uh, Robin Wright, Chris mm-hmm. Sa- uh, Sarandon. You have Christopher Guest, who did a bunch of work. Uh, well, I guess spun off of this is Spinal Tap, but still, he did a yeah. bunch of work in that kind of field. Wallace mm-hmm. Shawn, Fred Savage, Andre the Giant, Peter yeah. Falk. I mean, give me a freaking break. Yeah, yeah. Carol Kane's in it. Billy Crystal's in it. I mean, this mm-hmm. movie is a banger. And and the thing is, as a huge fantasy nerd, as anyone knows with me, mm-hmm. uh, not even just in movies, but video games, D&D, whatever you want to do, man, bring it. Um, keep the fantasy out of wrestling. Like, I'm fine. Like, we can keep that a bit more, you know, how it is. But uh, but aside from that, though, you can put, like, fantasy in about anything. I'll be into it. And uh, I actually think the fantasy is done very well here. Mm-hmm. Even little details, like the man with six fingers. Um, the uh, Carrie Elwes, whenever uh, Wesley, uh, what is he? He's uh, brought back to life, but he can't move his body. That's what it is. <laughs> yes. Um, but what I love, though, is uh, like the Mandy Patinkin, the Inigo Montoya, mm-hmm. uh, that that whole storyline is so serious and legit. But there are so many jokes peppered throughout this movie, especially the whole bit with Carol Kane and and Billy Crystal, of course. Um, but it's like a very funny movie. But whenever stuff gets through, like the yeah. Mandy Patinkin story arc stuff. Like that stuff actually hits, I think. Like yeah. it actually is legitimately good. And yeah. this is one of those movies. I, I call some movies like Ghostbusters and different movies. I put them kind of in this category where Ghostbusters, I think, is like a legitimately good, like horror movie on paper. Like you could yeah. make that a horror movie. You know? Yeah, <laughs> like, absolutely. But it just ends up being kind of this like personality comedy of sorts, you know, with yeah. with Billy uh, or Billy Crystal with um. <laughs> Uh, see now I have Billy Crystal Billy, in my Bill Murray. Billy Bill Murray. Murray, thank you, jeez. <laughs> uh, but yeah, like with Bill Murray and and Dan Aykroyd and folks like just being themselves, you know, like who they normally are. And yeah. I, I I love movies like that that can um tell an actually legitimate great story. Big Lebowski is another great comedy like that where it tells mm-hmm. a legitimate neo noir story, but then the characters just so happen to bring comedy into it. Um, and and this movie, though it is more blatant comedy, um, it does have a legitimately great fairy tale story uh, that just so happens to also be uh, accessible through its comedy, uh, through its performances, uh, etc. So uh, I don't know if we've ever talked about Princess Bride. I want to say that maybe our 1984 episode, uh, you might have had this is Spinal Tap on there or something. I can't remember why yeah. we talked about Rob Reiner, but mm-hmm. what about? What yeah. do you think about Princess Bride, man? Yeah, yeah. It's. I mean, I, obviously, I love it. Um, yeah, I was going to say that 
that payoff with with Inigo Montoya's story like it it was you know the the you know the the whole little like speech thing that he has through the movie is obviously is a joke and it's funny and you you know and you're meant to kind of go with it as funny but man when it when it is realized at the end it really hits hard and you know and i think mandy patinkin's uh acting was a big part of it and really like selling the seriousness of it at, at the end but totally and, and, you know just this movie as a whole is just so silly right it's it, it's almost it, sometimes it's almost like airplane in its silliness you know it's like like a film like that like a, a zucker brothers movie a naked gun or airplane or um whatever but um but yeah, at, at the end there, that really was hard. It like hits you hard, you know, when, when he's he's realizing, you know, he's finally in that moment where he's realizing or not realizing his his actual vengeance and kind of the aftermath of it. But yeah, he it was yeah, that really got me. And also, you know, Andre the Giant's character, Fezzik, is has a, a couple of moments where you he has kind of legitimate pathos, you know, where you're yep. like just really like into him um into his journey and not just like him as a funny character or as you know as just like a this kind of you know the freakish you know big monster guy uh it, it was like it meant something so yeah um it, it's terrific um but uh i'm i'm you know i think the reason i mentioned him was that i interviewed him i interviewed rob reiner twice <laughs> and, oh that's including right. one yeah, time yeah. in person and um and i actually asked him to tell me a story about andre the giant and he talked about there's a moment where he had to catch Robin Wright. He had to catch her as she was yeah. falling and he couldn't physically like he, he was like, he was like, Andre was such a great guy, but he said he was so broken down. And I felt so bad for him. And he says, you know, he, um, he couldn't physically catch Robin Wright, who was, you know, all of what, 110 pounds maybe at that time. <laughs> and, yeah. and, you know, keep in mind, this was, I think this movie was filmed in 1986 before he wrestled Hulk Hogan at WrestleMania three, by the way, he body slammed the 300 pound Hulk Hogan. I don't know, half a dozen times in that match, like lifted him up and slammed him down. And you think about like how he could do that a couple of months later, but you know, just like during the filming of this film, he could not catch this woman who was a third of that weight. And it was well, just... real quick though, that let's, let's take physics into account here. If she's just yeah. falling, he has to stop her right whereas yeah. with hogan hogan's jumping up let's face it right yes. if you watch yeah. that dude he's doing all the Absolutely. heavy lifting literally yeah. okay yes. but, I, yes. but i get your point yeah. though uh, i get your yeah. point like he he goes on to do one of the biggest matches of all time yeah yeah, yeah. and and just the it just it, he really it really like impressed upon him that he kept going it, uh through you know rob reiner he, he told me that it was he was like it was so impressive to see him like see how much he struggled with it but he still did it, and then he was like, and then he goes, you know, the, the things he goes out and does on a nightly basis, the the strength it takes for him to do the things he, you know, would do. And, and and of course, if you know anything about Andre the Giant, you know, there's a million stories about how strong he was. He, like, there's a, a story where he, like, turned over a car because people were making fun of him, and, you know, he was the strongest, you know, strongest man most people had ever known, and, um, you know, he pooped on Bad News Brown one time in the middle of a match, and <laughs> just like, that's true that, that, that's a true story go look it up i it's think it's hilarious. happened to multiple people possibly but yeah that's really funny <laughs> but but anyway yes uh that was it was really nice to see him in this film and and even as you know at the time he was a bad guy and was a super traitor but um uh, it was awesome and um and this is just absolutely every bit of classic movie and um it, it's really it's really fun to see not only his involvement in it but just 
kind of the overall experience of being able to to watch and enjoy it and and like you said the romance in the middle of it that we've hardly even talked about <laughs> well i'm not there yet <laughs> actually i was really just excited to talk about andre the giant and Rob I Reiner, but i uh, know the, the the love story is uh the it, i mean it is to a ta fairy tale uh, yeah, it absolutely. is a classic love story i don't even know what else to say about it it's the classic uh uh, kidnapped princess gotta go save her he yeah. i mean basically uh wesley is mario you know what i mean yes, yes he's just absolutely. gotta go get the princess you know that's mm-hmm. what's up but that's what i love about it. that's why i was saying like it's a traditional fantasy story that's mm-hmm. like uh just told in such a way that fits for its time and i would say is arguably almost timeless and yeah. you're right i don't think of it as like airplane humor or whatever but there are definitely moments 100% where it's that silly yeah yeah he's like falling <laughs> and, down uh, the hill right and he's like just like talking as he's rolling down the hill yeah, yeah. or or uh when it, there's a point where he has like a whole like wordsmith argument with andre the giant i think and they're like <laughs> they're like talking uh-huh. around each other and uh that's a very uh, a very kind of uh naked gun type thing mm-hmm. um but yeah yeah uh, anyways so uh, yeah I, I don't know what to say it's i think i think the princess bride is a, is a great movie to uh to watch uh, for the love story or just because you want to laugh or because you mm-hmm. just want a, a good fairy tale whatever the thing is but mm-hmm. today we're talking about it as a love story and that's what i hope you watch it for joe right. give yeah. me your number three man all right my number three is i don't know maybe it's sort of in the middle of my first two picks um it's not it's not particularly um i don't know profane or i don't remember the word you used um but uh anyway i'll just get to it 2012 i think we've talked about this movie too on this podcast uh david o russell's silver linings playbook Mm. um which is again another one of the sorts of romances i love Bradley Cooper and Jennifer Lawrence are the two who um, are in love. They're the two crazies who fall in love, so to speak. Um, Bradley Cooper had um, has, uh, what did he say, bipolar disorder, I believe, um, and had been suffering from it from some time. Uh, he just gets out of an institution after he um, severely beat a co-worker who was having an affair with his wife. Um, he's trying to get back with his wife, and she has a restraining order against him. So he's remanded into the care of his parents who, um, through the course of the movie, we um, learn a lot of things about as well. But um, the, what Pat learns about is Tiffany, played by Jennifer Lawrence, who um, also has had some um, mental health issues after the death of her husband. And so they sort of get together and um, they have she agrees to give a letter to his ex-wife because she knows her or has access to her anyway. And he, in exchange, he has to help her with this dance routine that she's doing. It's a, just a strange and very disconnected sort of thing. And in the middle of all this, the two of them have um, sometimes very public arguments. They say really mean things to each other and kind of along the way they fall in love and deal with also some other mental health issues of some of the other people around them. Um, And I, you know, I don't want to get too much into it this time, but um, let's we'll jump into the cast a little bit. Of course, Bradley Cooper, Jennifer Lawrence, um, Robert De Niro, Jackie Weaver. Those are two, you know, acting titans yeah. these days. Chris Tucker, um, John Ortiz, who you probably know from some movies. If you haven't, if you can't think of him, uh, think of his uh, his uh, name. You certainly know his face. Shea Wiggum, who's been in a lot of things recently. Julia Stiles also is in it. Um, 
So th- this is just a <laughs> Why'd you tremendous say it that way. <laughs> <laughs> well, she was she was a well. Okay, I'll say it like this: My daughter was very much like you should do ten things I hate about you, and I was like, no. <laughs> okay, gotcha. <laughs> but uh, but yeah. So uh, it's got a really strong cast. It's uh, again David O. Russell who um, does a lot of really great movies, and um, it, it's a fantastic story that I was engrossed in from the very beginning. Um, there's some great needle drops and things in this also. So um, yeah, if, if you've never seen Silver Linings Playbook, um, you should. It's readily um, watchable on, I don't know, either Netflix or Amazon Prime. Um, and it's it's a good movie just to sit and you can watch it and just like enjoy the the kind of the romance and the, you know, watching like these big movie stars interact with each other. Or you can really like dig into the story and see because it's it's a very well layered film. There's a lot of um, things that they left leave unsaid in this film that you can kind of pick on yourself. And it's like I said, other mental health issues with some of the the other characters that you don't necessarily think of. There's some really just bizarre things that happen surrounding bets with footballs, football games, and parlays. And you got to learn, you know, there's like a, that Robert De Niro's character as a bookmaker is kind of a, a major part of the film. Um, there's fights at the Eagles uh, Stadium, Veteran Stadium. There's, um, I don't know, people having very public outbursts. And it, it's, you know, I don't know. It, it's a great movie. Bradley Cooper is phenomenal in it. I'll say he's phenomenal. And Jennifer Lawrence is absolutely um, up to the task of equaling him. And I love this movie. It's, it's uh, again, on my on the short list of my favorite movies probably ever. So yeah, Silver Linings Playbook, David O. Russell. This is from 2012. Um, some Oscar nominations. I think uh, Robert De Niro got one, and Jennifer. I believe Jennifer Lawrence did as well. Yeah, it won yeah. one. I think. Uh, yeah, I want to say she won. Yeah, um, for that, I'm, I'll I'll confirm that. Yeah, I'll I'm trying to look it up uh, while you're talking. For some reason, it won't yeah. load, but it is on Netflix, like you said. Mm-hmm. And I, I wanted to I wanted to talk about David O. Russell real quick before I talk about that movie. I think that yeah. it gives some context here. The first film I'd ever seen by him was I Heart Huckabees. Yeah. And uh, I actually just rewatched that recently, and it uh-huh. actually kicks so much ass. So <laughs> yes. um, I actually still really love that movie. Um, but then I saw The Fighter, and I just wasn't a uh-huh. fan. That was like, oh. it felt like Oscar bait to me. Uh-huh. You know, I, like, I really did like The Fighter also, but I think you're right. Uh, I but do also remember this. I saw these movies the year they came out. I, I That's all I can say right now. Right? Sure, like, yeah. So yeah. I haven't seen them. The only one I've seen since is American Hustle, but um, Silver Linings Playbook. I'll come back to that. Uh, Mm -hmm. American Hustle I actually liked a lot as a derivative work from Scorsese Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) or a derivative work of Scorsese. It feels Uh like a fucking like someone is uh, trying to emulate Scorsese so hard. Yeah. Um, But you know what, though? I like that about it. So I'm not complaining. I'm just saying it feels like a wannabe Scorsese movie. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Joy, I was not into. No, not so much. Um, not really at all. Uh, and then Amsterdam, I never saw, though it was very uh, divisive. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, and I and probably more negative than positive, but still, mm-hmm. I, I saw a little of both sides. It's something I want to see just to have an opinion. But yeah, Silver Linings Playbook is interesting for me because I haven't seen it since 2012. Mm-hmm. Um, I was definitely not huge into those actors or movies like that at the time. I was yeah. really in the middle of my like film studies at that time. Yeah. Um, or like I was probably a junior, uh, an undergrad studying this stuff. And, um, 
I just wasn't, I didn't dislike it. I liked it. I just wasn't mm-hmm. a big fan. You know, like I was like, it's yeah. fine. But like <clears throat> the more I think about that movie, the more I like want to go back and revisit it. Cause I just feel like I would have a different perspective maybe on it or mm-hmm. different feelings about it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, because also like everyone was fucking talking about that movie in my <laughs> circles at that time. And that yeah. probably played a role because mm-hmm. like I just, it's kind of like cabin cabin in the woods. Okay. Like everyone fucking talked about that movie, and I don't. I just don't uh-huh. like that movie, except for like yeah. the last thirty minutes, because uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> I guess fucking bat shit, and that part's cool. Yeah, I do um, love that. But it's like I, I feel like Silver Linings around that time was like similar in terms of everyone was talking about how subversive it was for these romantic movies and how, yeah. you know, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, fuck you. It's not that different. <laughs> like I still liked I, it, but I was like, fuck you. But, yeah. but now being removed from that, I want to revisit yeah. it. So here's another yeah. one that you're suggesting where I'm like, all right, maybe I should just watch it. Cause I want to like it. So yeah, why absolutely. wouldn't I, why wouldn't I, you know what I'm yeah. saying? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. I, I, I think subversive is maybe a strong word. Um, it does some things differently. You know, it's not your, it's not a movie that tries to pump up its protagonists. You know, it's not a movie where it's like, oh, here are two glamorous young people who have these like horrible neuroses that we're going to ignore. They they kind of flip that and and say, you know, and start it with here are two characters or a handful of characters who have some kind of un recognized and untreated mental health issues and here's how they kind of get through life and some of the stuff is meant to be funny obviously and some of the stuff is meant to be a little more serious but it's uh yeah it to me it just strikes the the right balance and it's just one that it's it's a it's a late night one for me that i put on when i'm doing something else and watch and it's like you know i can go to sleep watching it or i can half the time i sit up and watch the whole thing (laughs) yeah well i will i will definitely report back all right. If and when I rewatch, because I want to, it's it is one of those. Uh, it's on the master lists. I have two where it's like this is just one I want to revisit. You yeah. know, and there are a lot of movies like that. I don't think I've done it with that one, but there are a lot of movies where I just erase my rating on Letterboxd. Yeah. Sure, it's yeah. been so long. I'm just like, no, I'm not even gonna look. I'm not even gonna <laughs> let this influence me because I don't even remember why I put this right. Yeah, uh, with some movies, and that would probably be one. It's fucking right. twelve years old. How crazy is that? That's very crazy. <laughs> Damn, dude. All yeah. right, dude. So so yeah. this is probably the the most unusual one for me, though you dropped the bomb with secretary right <laughs> off the bat. So I don't think I'll ever be able to top that All right. uh, in this. But um, I just speaking of uh, my shout out to Jordan before we actually just rewatched this or well, he watched it for the first time. I rewatched it. Um, and that is Punch Drunk Love by Paul Thomas Anderson. Okay. Uh, this Very is uh, this is my out of left field kind of movie because the whole time that uh, my friend Jordan and I were watching this, there were multiple times throughout where he goes, "What does she see in him?" You know, because <laughs> the cast is Adam Sandler, Emily Watson, Philip Seymour Hoffman, uh, Louis Guzman. Uh, Louis Guzman. Uh-huh. Uh, those are those are some of the main ones. I'm not going to go through all of the sisters, but he has like a billion in this movie. They're yes. most of well, one of them is recognizable at least. Uh, but anyways, uh, Sam, this is one of my favorite Adam Sandler movies. First mm-hmm. off, uh, he plays Barry Egan, who is. This is not your typical Adam Sandler movie. Also, if you haven't seen oh, this. Oh, absolutely. But not. Uh, yeah. he plays one of the most awkward 
uh, talk about mental health issues. I think there's something here. He just bro needs a therapist. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Um, I literally basically tries at one point to have a therapist. Yes. Um, unfortunately, he goes to his brother-in-law who's like a vet veterinarian or something. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, and he's like, you're a doctor, right? And he's just like, well, I'm not that kind of doctor, you know? Yeah. Um, but uh, Barry Egan, he just wants someone to talk to, man. He's he has so pent. He's so a people pleaser. He's so pent up with like fury and, and anxiety. He has seven sisters, all of which treat him terribly. Mm-hmm. And uh, but they don't think they are. They just think they're treating him like anyone else. But to him, everything they do is an, a stress inducer. Yeah. And uh, basically, he decides to call a sex hotline just to have someone to talk to. Like, not not to be sexual. Like, like the women, the woman on the other side of the of the line or whatever is just like, are you stroking it, baby? You know, like, uh-huh. this. and he's just like, no. Um, so how was your day? You know, like, he's just so <laughs> he's just trying so hard to to just have a conversation. Mm-hmm. And um, he ends up meeting Emily Watson. And for some reason, she just really digs him. Yep. And that's something I can't explain either. And maybe it's the classic. Uh, well, maybe she found someone she thought was cute and someone she could fix. Who knows? Yeah, uh, because he clearly has a lot of issues. Um, yes. But uh, it, it just kind of spirals into this unpredictable, unexpected wildness. Uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman plays D and D mattress man, uh, the owner of that company, and he also yeah. runs the sex hotline. And, um, man, it, it becomes so much more than just a love story. I mean, this movie, uh, I would say the love story is maybe half the movie or less. Yeah. Um, most of it is all of this kind of obscure, bizarre stuff happening to Barry. <laughs> uh, but but the focus, and this is why I also call this a romantic comedy, albeit a subversive one, and I will use that term for this. Okay. Um, it is... Uh, the focus of the movie is Barry, especially once he finds Emily Watson, especially after they go on a date. The The focus is in him trying to find love. And I yeah. think love becomes the focus of the movie, even if the movie tries really hard not to focus on that. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, yeah, so it's it's pretty great. Um, like I said, uh, great. This is uh, this and Uncut Gems might be. Would you say the best Adam Sandler movies? Maybe I'm not sure. I and mean, I, dude, I love Happy Gilmore and Billy yes. Madison and all that stuff. Yeah. Don't get me wrong. Like right. Wedding Singer, mm-hmm. give me a break. Like this is all fun. Yeah. I mean, but these are legit performances to me. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, this you're you're very right. Yeah. These I would I would say those two are probably, um, uh, the kind of his two his two best. He did have a good one. Um, called Hustle from a couple of years ago, um, where he plays a basketball agent. Yeah, yeah. It's it. I, I don't. I don't want to say it's on. It's certainly not on level with this one. Um, and um, I don't think it's on the level of Uncut Gems either. But it's maybe just a tier below that. Um, and this, but this one, yeah, this one is just so good. It's got. It's it's certainly Paul Thomas Anderson through and through. Um, it, it, and I'm even um, looking at the. Uh, uh, the trailer on silent uh, while you were talking and, and there were all these shots. There was that, the, the shot of two people kissing uh, where the camera just kind of like all of a sudden pan, like zooms in on them. Um, it, it's a shot. If you've seen the Paul Thomas Anderson movie, especially his early couple or, or first few movies, which this falls in that category, he uses that shot a lot. Um, 
and um, just the the weird scheme he has with the pudding cups and uh, the fl- frequent flyer miles. There's a <laughs> there's a whole thing where he's basically trying to game um, these. He's trying to game the healthy, healthy choice, choice people. Yeah, yeah, because they they have this frequent flyer mileage um, uh, promotion, and he found that um, if you buy a, like a four pack of pudding there's a barcode on each one. So each one of those cups of pudding counts as one entry into this contest or whatever this, like it, it's, I don't know, it's a tally or something. And basically the amount that it would cost to get the frequent flyer miles. If he buys a certain amount of pudding, yes. he ends up making money from them. Basically. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And it's just this weird scheme that goes through and, uh, you know, but it so, ends up paying off and playing into the love story. Yeah, How fucking yeah, exactly great is right. that? Yeah, it seems so random. Right. Yeah. And, God, I and, love this movie. Yeah. And you're right. Yeah. And it's just all of the things that, like you said, the sisters, there's a, the great, this, just this great, great scene where, you know, and, and it's like such a great character moment too, where this, you know, you mentioned it where to the sisters, this is just like your everyday stuff. And they're, and they're like reminiscing with him and they're like, oh yeah. You know, like Barry always used to do, like he always got so mad about things. And then they're like, yeah. we used to call him gay boy. Hey, Barry, you remember we used to call you gay boy? And he was like, you know, like he sighs and he's like, yeah, I remember, yeah. you know, and, and they're like, and so then like they start calling him gay boy again. And they're just like, that was pretty funny. Wasn't it gay boy? And, and he has this, you can see all of the repression he has. And then he goes into the, to the other room and like breaks a sliding glass door. Like he kicks it and breaks it. <laughs> and he's he just breaks like three windows. By yeah. The way. And he's yes. like, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to do that. But you can <laughs> just, there's just like, and this is kind of a hallmark of Adam Sandler characters anyway, right? It's like repression that goes berserk, you know, and it, it just lands so well here. Um, and then the whole interplay with um, uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman. And Philip Seymour Hoffman is amazing in this too. <laughs> Dude, that dude's not even in this that much. In every know, scene he's in, he's fucking great. Yeah. There, dude, he was the first dude that died, I think, yeah. uh-huh. that not ever <laughs> yeah <laughs> sorry that's a bad joke i I popped myself though that's okay uh-huh. um then anyways he like he is the first dude that died that made me feel that yeah terrible like for a lot of my peers it was like robin williams uh-huh which i actually don't think i was as big a robin williams fan as i am now before he died like i feel like yeah. i've seen a lot more of his stuff since mm-hmm. and just really fallen in love with with how great he is, you know? Yeah. yeah. But like uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman was, he was one of my all time favorite actors. And when he passed, it hit me like a semi, you know what I mean? Yes. Yeah. And, and also I would say um, if you, if you have a free couple of minutes, not even watching this movie, but look up the, um, the mattress man commercial that is from this movie. That's Philip Seymour Hoffman. I don't. I this feel, it feels very real to me. Like he he basically like, is is that the way he falls onto the mattress and he, okay. <laughs> he falls? So yeah, so he does this thing where he's recording a commercial. His character is recording a commercial, and he's like playing a guitar, but he's standing on like the roof of his building, and he does this stunt where he thinks it's like this stunt where he's gonna jump off of his the building and land on these mattresses on top of a car. And he hits the mattresses and bounces off and falls to the pavement. And it looks really painful. And I don't it think looks it was brutal. Yeah. Yeah. It's it is like it's all one shot. It's from like it doesn't no stuntmen. Like it looks like he did this. I don't know the story behind it, but 
it's hilarious to watch it and also kind of cringe inducing and something I still I just I don't know quite enough about the story behind it but it makes me crack up too it was a special feature in the dvd that i um i believe i which i had once upon a time i don't think i have anymore it makes me wonder if it was like supposed to be a part of the movie and then if he yeah. actually fell they yes. just turned it into like a separate thing you know yes. what i mean yeah because yeah, i'm watching it, it right now silently uh-huh. and it i don't know how that's not real yeah yeah i mean it's yeah it's like literally you see the entire like from the rooftop to the mattresses to the pavement like there's nothing there's no way to fake that that i know it would of. hurt so bad dude. yeah i know and i couldn't just imagine him hitting you know like this being an accident of him bouncing off and then they're like oh my god are you okay and they're like don't worry we won't use that and he's like and i can just hear philip seymour hopping are you kidding me like i hurt myself for you to not use that like yeah you know like it's there yeah. but it's it's just listen it's awesome and it you know, I, it speaks to him as an actor, but also just as a mo- moment in the in that movie, which is not even in the actual movie. Nope. Um, but it, it just it says YouTube, so much about who, who he is as an actor and and then the character as well. It's it's listen, go yeah, go watch Punch Drunk Club, absolutely hundred percent if you haven't seen it. I, I feel like a lot of people in 2019 saw Uncut Gems, or at least after the fact when it was on streaming services and stuff, yeah. and. I feel like a lot of those same people may not have seen this. This is a movie I think a lot of people, it's very easy for them to pass up on unless they're looking yep. up Paul Thomas Anderson movies. Yep. And um, this was released a year before I super got into movies. So mm-hmm. um, I was still really into like Adam Sandler movies and stuff. So I saw this pretty early on mm-hmm. when I first got into movies because it was at Blockbuster being yep. sold as like used copies. Uh-huh. And I'm pretty sure I just straight up bought it. Like, yeah, like I think my buddy Riley even was just like, hey, man, we should watch that. And like, I just got it. But it is <laughs> it is, um, you know, I, I told my buddy Jordan when we were watching this. When you watch certain movies, you can even go back and watch some of the less the lesser Hitchcock movies mm-hmm. or you can watch like uh, a lesser Scorsese movie or I'm trying to think of another one uh, or even like someone like Bergman or something where it's like the movie's not great per yeah. se. <clears throat> and you can tell that there's a master at work here. Like, I don't like a lot of John Ford Westerns. Okay. I'm not a big right. John Ford guy. I don't like mm-hmm. his, his uh, comic relief. I don't I like, there's just stuff I really do not respond to, mm-hmm. but I'll be damned if I don't watch a John Ford movie and go, there's a master at work here. Yeah. It's just maybe not for me. You mm-hmm. know what I'm saying? Like, man, right. what a fucking great storyteller. I didn't need the guy who whistles every time he says an S sound, but that's fine. You know what I'm saying? Like, yes. <clears throat> and so like watching Punch Drunk Love, it's like, I don't know how someone couldn't watch this and go, there is a contemporary master at work here. Yeah. Whether you're a huge fan of watching like Adam Sandler buy a bunch of pudding, I'm not sure, but like <laughs> right. there's something masterfully done here. And my buddy Jordan realized this very early on. Because there, the music is constantly matching the tone. So at the beginning, well, it's pretty silent. But I mean, when it starts getting tense at the beginning, and he's getting stressed out, Barry Egan. Yeah, it's this music that's all percussion. It's just yeah. like, and not like an action thing. It doesn't feel action at all. It feels almost like a Johnny Greenwood or like a Radiohead, yeah. almost like uh, movement. But it's just like repetitive. And it's, mm-hmm. it makes it stressful. 
And then all of these other things are happening. And then there's a point where he sees Emily Watson and the music fades into this beautiful, almost like 1940s orchestral thing. And then it just cuts is interrupted immediately by life hitting him like a truck. You know what I mean? (laughs) And and then like more anxiety music, anxiety music. The music fits perfectly the way everything's shot. Obviously, it's just a bunch of uh, uh, steady cam shit. Basically, they just follow him around for a bunch of long takes a -hmm. lot of the time. But everything ties in. Everything has a purpose. His performance is perfect. He goes places I've never seen him go before and after. Um, Like there's a point where he's running away from some people chasing him. And he's just like growling like a fucking gremlin. Uh You know, like he's just like making he's just like breathing and hyperventilating. And he's like, (laughs) you know, he's just (laughs) like like he's just making these like throaty noises. And it's fucking weird. Yeah. What's amazing, and this is very akin to Uncut Gems, coincidentally, is when I watch Uncut Gems, I feel constant anxiety. You know what I mean? Like, that movie just has a way of layering. Mm -hmm. I didn't know I ever wanted to feel layered stress before, (laughs) um, but that's what that does. It's like every scene is scaffolding that just gets built upon and built upon, right? Yeah. Um, Punch Drunk Love is not unlike that. Uh, it, it is stressful. That's something that both Jordan and I, when we watched it last time, uh, were talked about was how every scene just seems to be stressful, even though there's nothing deliberately stressful going on. Um, it's it's the way that it's shot. It's knowing the psyche of Barry. Uh, there's a point where he goes into a restaurant bathroom and he just literally destroys the entire thing. Yeah. Um, because someone brings up. Uh, you know, like one thing he doesn't want to talk about. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. Um, yeah. I think it might even be the pudding, if I'm not mistaken, or I can't remember, yeah. or um, or maybe someone talking about his sisters talking about him when he was a kid. Either way, yeah. whatever the situation is, I can't remember specifically, but he gets so stressed out hmm. that he beats down this door, and that just adds more anxiety, and there's just so much going on. Like you said, he has so much bubbling underneath the surface. You know yeah. what I mean? That it constantly, the sisters scene that you talked about, absolutely a perfect example of what I'm talking about. Yeah. Um, and, and there's also a great scene where he's talking to his brother-in-law uh, and his sister. Uh-huh. And uh, the brother says, so how's your business going? He goes, oh, business is food. Uh-huh. And the sister goes, business is food? And he goes, oh, did I say food? I'm sorry, but it's good. Yeah, and in uh, Paul Thomas Anderson, when he's writing this, accidentally hit F instead of G. So, like, if you look at your keyboard on a computer, F yeah. is right next to G, right? So mm-hmm. he accidentally hit F, and he thought it was funny, so he just left it in. Yeah, like, it's even little things like that that I just adore. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, because it's so stupid, but it's also so awesome. Um, this was also a transition for Paul Thomas Anderson because I mm-hmm. think you start you see the ensemble cast stuff that he did prior to it. Uh And then it's, this is a very singular film. I mean, it almost exclusively focuses on Barry Egan. The tone is different though. He does use a lot of the same techniques like you were saying. And then you get, there will be blood after this five years later. Yeah. And uh, I think there is a almost through line to it because of this film. Uh, Though I I think punch drunk love is actually unique among all like both sides of it as well in many ways so anyways it's it's masterfully done uh the important part about this is the love story uh, between mm-hmm. uh, adam sandler and emma Wa- emily watson and i just want to say that uh there is something so 
heartwarming by the end of this movie for as stressful and ridiculous and and just nutty as this movie can be. Mm-hmm. Uh, man, the end of this and the especially the parts in the second half where there's a lot of like the love focus involved and everything. Yeah. There's I there's never been more of a love story to me. <laughs> yes. Like this is just as oh. much a love story as name any movie that has a love story. Right. Um, yeah. And uh it just so happens to be a bonkers movie. So um I love Punch Drunk Love. It is I love Paul Thomas Anderson so much. He's my favorite favorite living director. Mm-hmm. And this is like my fifth favorite movie of his or something. And this is like a <laughs> fucking five star movie to me. You know yeah. what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's just perfect. Uh, any final thoughts on on Punch Drunk Love? I love how much you like this movie. So yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm this. very into this movie. Yeah. With, um, yeah. I I got into Paul Thomas Anderson with with Boogie Nights and then uh, Magnolia, Same. and I I love Magnolia also. And then Punch Drunk Love. Came. I was like, man, Adam said in 2000 what was it 2002 2003? Yep. It's like, boy, at, at that time Adam Sandler with Paul Thomas Anderson. I was like, that's a weird pairing, but. You know, but then I saw it and I was like, yes, that worked perfectly. Works perfectly. Yeah. And and yeah, you're yeah, you're right. It is it is sort of a tonal shift for him for Paul Thomas Anderson also. Um he he goes into, you know, there will be blood's kind of a one man show, and then you know, the master comes after that, and that's what a two man show mostly. It's a I mean, two man show, yeah. Amy yeah, Adams give, is there. It's, it's it's mostly Joaquin Phoenix, but yeah, yeah, Paul and, Phil, and Phil then, you know, you've got great. Phantom Thread, and then there's what else? Inherent Vice, and like these, these are all different movies than than these early ones, especially. But um, and those early ones are my favorites of of his for sure. But um, yeah, yeah, this is this is that one. I was gonna say it's probably the most under the radar of of all of his films. Um, it it didn't get that much attention. I don't know that it did particularly well at the box office, um, but it's it's sort of like his hidden gem um, in his in a in what's a pretty uh, well known filmography. And you know he's obviously is considered among the best, if not the best, contemporary director around, and and rightfully so. But um, yeah, it's uh, yeah. Yeah, twenty five million is what it made. That was its budget. That was it, its budget. It made twenty four point yeah. seven. Right, almost made it back. Yeah, it was just it just didn't make money uh, th- from the theaters. Yeah, so and let me tell you this: if you haven't learned anything listening to this show, whenever I've ripped out uh, or ripped off, just uh, you know, here's the budget of this movie in the box office and yeah. the fucking unbelievable movies we've talked about that failed at the box office. Yeah. That should be a badge of honor, everybody. Okay. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, yeah, because this movie is amazing. But also, yeah. I get it. I get yeah. why it didn't do well. And I feel like that's I feel like this is a movie you could very easily go to for the wrong reasons, yes. especially once you see the actor who's never done anything like this yeah. and uh, and is known for a specific typecast. And then you you hear it's a love story, essentially. I mean, who's going to even like this? It's a casual moviegoer. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, why yeah, would really. you at that time? Yeah. Uh, but I think in retrospect, one can look at this, especially after movies like Uncut Gems. And of course, he did Funny People, which gets very dark and serious, even though it is pretty yeah. silly. And mm-hmm. he did Spanglish, which is a relatively serious movie. And yeah. I actually really liked it when I saw it. I just don't remember it now. Uh, it was too long ago. Yeah. Um, so. Right. Sorry, Rain Over Me is the one that I remember oh, where that one too. Yes, yeah, where everybody was like, "This is him going serious," and and I just that movie sucked. I'm sorry. 
You know, I really liked it when I saw it, but dude, I I can't, I honestly don't remember it. And I don't know what that says about me because I've said I don't remember like half the movies we've talked about today. Yeah. I mean, I love Don Cheadle also, who's his co star in that, but, um, and, and Jada Pinkett Smith is in it also. I just took a look. That's almost, I remember that. And then I remember the ending of that movie, which made me like very much roll my eyes. It's a, it was very, it was really a, a cheap move compared, you know, for, I'll just say for the time it was made in the um, the resolution of it was just something that hit me the wrong way. And I'd much prefer punch drunk love. And and it's uh, it's entire, just the entire feel of that movie. It, it does everything that a serious Adam quote unquote, serious Adam Sandler movie should do. Um, And, and I'll, I'll go with that one. I'll go with punch drunk love five times before I watch uh, damn rain over me again. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I need to rewatch Funny People too because I remember really yeah. liking that, but that yeah. didn't quite go over as well with some people. Because yeah, a yeah. Well, it it was the the movie was good, and then uh, Judd Apatow just liked it so much that he just kind of kept going with it. <laughs> it was like <laughs> he was like, "I'm just like I don't want this movie to end, so I'm not going to end it." And yeah. it's like, "What it the is hell?" Two is and a half hours long. Yeah, yeah. Um. But uh, anyways, back to Punch Drunk Love. That's my yep. number three. Uh, I love that movie. If you get I a chance to see thing. it, please go check it out. I really, Absolutely. really love it, and I hope you do too. Uh, these were some wacky picks, man. I'm actually, or, uh, yeah, I might actually go watch huh? one of yours. You know? <laughs> All right, so, definitely. I mean, listen, I'm gonna I'm gonna watch the uh, George Clooney movie, but uh-huh. um, right now it's either Silver Linings Playbook or Secretary, and probably <laughs> Silver Linings Playbook because. You know, I just feel like uh-huh. Secretary is when you got to be in the right mood for. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, I'm I'm absolutely going to go after that Mattress Man commercial if I don't watch uh, all of Punch Drunk Love again tonight. Maybe I'll all do right, that. man. Well, <laughs> hey, thank you so much again, Joe. Uh, yeah. Great picks, buddy. All right. Likewise. <laughs> what a dumb way to end that. Likewise. All right, everybody, that is our episode for today. A little bit of uh, the old Austin and Joe rambling about random movies that we like. But uh, hey, I'm working right now on a pretty good schedule that I want to do for uh, Medium Cool. So things are going to start to kind of get back on track finally. Uh, Ever since we started, I feel like, you know, I feel like I wanted to do the best of 2023 so badly that it turned into one of those things where I just didn't know. I, I kind of wasn't prepared to start, but I, I just felt like we had to, like I had to just jump in, you know what I mean? Like, and do it. And so I'm still trying to get on track with some of the timing things and, and future episodes and, and kind of really having a schedule like I used to and being able to prepare a bit more. And one thing I'm really interested in doing because I'm such a huge film history nerd <clears throat> is... I, I want to do something called uh, the working title right now is cinematic landscapes or something uh, and where I would take a year. So cinematic landscapes, 1985. And it's like, let's talk about the cinematic landscape of that year, basically. Right. Um, and see, you know, what were the highest grossing movies of 85? What were, um, you know, uh, some 
maybe lesser known movies that are kind of outstanding? Uh, you know, what was the climate cinematically during that time? And then peppered throughout, I would have conversations with not just Joe, uh, but different people, uh, a variety of people in episodes, um, you know, just kind of short conversations about different movies that I touch on through that time. And it'd be kind of like a little medium cool movie lesson, kind of a history gig. Uh, again, I'm a very big fan of like film history type stuff. So I think that'd be a lot of fun. I know that uh, with the Oscars coming up here, I believe it's March 10th, if I'm not mistaken. Um, with that coming up here, we're going to be doing some Oscar kind of best picture stuff as well. So uh, we have some stuff planned, and uh, it's only going to get better from here, I believe. Thank you guys so much for listening, seriously. And uh, hey, until next time, good night, good luck, and take it easy. Thank you.